1: shouldn't talk like that for this episode it'll sound like I'm trying to, to impersonate Wyclef which is not what I'm trying to do <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, 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 Jake thinks Haitians sound like Grimace <laughs> it's a crude stereotype he believes
1: Wait, what does Grimace sound like
2: it sounds like Y Club.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so- I mean, I was about to do the Cookie Monster voice, but then I realized that's Cookie Monster. That's not Grimace. I cookie don't think Monster he speaks. And
2: Grimace, I think we all agree probably sound pretty similar. Yeah. I think that's
1: based on
3: uh stereotypes.
1: C's I'm not the problem here. For Cookie, one time, one time. He's in the Fujis. <laughs> all right. Uh, one
3: is purple, the other's blue.
1: And I believe one time. Cookie Monster's shorter. Did you know Grimace originally has four arms? Have we talked about this on the show? Like Goro? Yeah, his origin the original Grimace has four arms. It's so he can steal shakes, even though he have, is a shake. I have four arms. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> Can we edit that I, out? I Thanks. now sort of no, no, get no. it,
2: but I feel no better for feeling that way.
1: No, it was a really good joke, actually. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: let's lead with that.
1: Yeah, I've got It's four like arms. the right to
3: bear arms. It's If you say it, you know, it means something
1: else. I have so four back arms. To I have four
2: arms. Grimace had four arms, and he would steal shakes with them.
1: Yeah, much like the United States steals from Latin America and the Caribbean. The United States exactly is the same. a global grimace. Right, shakes, shakes the global earth grimace. shakes, the
3: earth shakes sometimes, earthquakes, and we <laughs> take advantage of that shake to steal from Haiti. If you're Haiti. following
2: along with your cork board at home, make sure you connect earth shake to milkshake.
3: That's right. Yeah. You know what? I called it a hurricane hurricane. You will see, it was not a hurricane that I, happened in 2010. It was an earthquake.
1: That's I what caught that, and I was like, am I wrong? No, it was the earthquake, right? It was
3: an earthquake. So it's, you know, then this is my trope mind, because I'm thinking, oh, it's tropical, it's It's in the Caribbean, must be a hurricane. No, right. they have earthquakes, too.
1: No. Not everything is, is, is
3: water-related, just because they're an island. And it was not- For
2: us, when you say things, it sounds so confident, we just
3: assume you're right. <laughs> really? That's funny that that's how it sounds well, you've
1: been broad- coming out of me. You've been broadcasting for a while, so you have that authority in your voice now where you're like yes. the news. And now I just the listen news. to you on our podcast, and I learn things from you as if you were the man in the TV. And it, they right, could be like, wrong, and they could be dumber. It doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> it's like Dan Rather explaining how Grimace's forearms are like forearms.
1: I have four arms. <laughs> Coming up next <laughs> later on today, this woman has four arms. <laughs> you know how they they jump yeah. they do that weird thing with the tone on the news where they're like, nah, 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 "I am eating a sandwich
3: Burgundy right eggs.
1: now." The British.
3: Uh, speaking the of eggs? speaking of like the, the voice of authority, the British can convince you that they don't know what they're talking about because of their accents. But they, BBC is the weirdest, remember, I, sometimes I just listen to BBC for this, is, they end sentences like this. Like this. Yeah. No comment from Old Man Jagger. And to be as a pedophile was involved.
1: <laughs> Alex, can you turn your gain up?
3: I'll
2: turn it way up. Way up. Can you gain
1: volume?
2: I feel like most of the news out of England is (laughs) pedo-based.
1: Yeah. You no, know, we did dulces. a lot of America
2: bashing this episode, but let's keep it clear who the real bad guy is. <laughs> and they're in—they're in the soccer cup
1: now. England, yes. Kicking well, the ball. Well, in this situation, in the Haiti situation, it's really like a lot of France, yeah, and France. some Spain, and uh, also yes, the United States is not off the hook at all for right. uh, being a gross. So, if you haven't caught on yet, we we're talking about Haiti today because guess what, American? You didn't even know about it their president was assassinated which is an insane thing to happen and not be major major news um, you're
2: laughing the president was assassinated and you're laughing
1: yeah marae um so it in order to discuss this i think because uh because we're a largely american audience you know and we're assuming a, a level of stupidity uh that i know i, I certainly subscribe to uh ascri- have i don't know what a ten dollar word for saying that is <laughs> yes i'm right. dumb uh i fucking you know read up on haiti like yesterday about the, and I because there's gaps and i you know went to a dumb school and i don't know everything about haiti and um also i've been reading about it on my own because it is interesting. I listen to like Mike Duncan and shit like that. Right. Um, well,
3: even in the smart schools, like they don't in Harvard. They probably, I mean, they probably do teach about Haiti in some way, but it's a very skewed and imperial
1: perspective. Well, so that this is also plays into like you know, remember last year when we talked about John Brown for fucking four or five episodes or whatever. That I one thing I kept talking about how was how. They don't tell you this in school, and if they do tell you it, they tell you a really specific version of it. Just by nature of you know the whole the imperialistic project, yada yada yada. Right. So like, even when you if you if you want to kill an hour and learn some really interesting shit, I would implore anyone to literally sit down and read the Wikipedia history section of <laughs> Haiti. I swear to God, I did that. Yeah, but 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 you have to keep in mind that when you do that it's heavily slanted in a certain direction and you can tell like there's a shift when you get to the 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 u.s involvement specifically really where it's you start to realize that the wikipedia article is now lying to you or whatever it moves from Hmm. like opaque history in the past to like yeah, we just had to go down there or whatever. But if you have that in mind and you are a big fucking anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, you can at least, you can see the real story in it and it is a, su- a sufficient, it takes like an hour to read. Like it's like, it's uh, it's uh enough of it is there and then you have all the seeds to where you go off and read your own shit. And I implore anyone to do that or if you have more time, just read a fucking book on it because the history of, tra- uh, of Haiti is incredibly tragic and funny and like, uh, the, I will say the f- yesterday when i was like oh the president of haiti's been assassinated i was like that's crazy after having read about the entire history of presidents and leaders in haiti and i'm surprised it didn't happen sooner because they all crazy they're all there's like been like i think i said 39 coups in the history of the country every leader gets deposed or sent out on a boat or assassinated or whatever so um this is just a continuation of pretty wild shit Hello, fucking technical difficulties again. This shit happened again. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening. Hi, this is Jake. Something garbled the fucking sound on our podcast a little bit right here, so I'm just going to come in and tell you that, and then transition into the interview we did with Jamima Pierre. Um, yeah, this sucks. I don't know what's happening. I literally have never encountered this up until now where everything we recorded sounded fine and then we played it back it has this weird clipping to it you'll hear it in the outro because i wasn't able to take it out of that um but we you know essentially just talked about the entire history of haiti and the situation ideologically being that uh the only successful slave revolt in history turning into a republic you know, at least this situation where there's ideological and economical constraints on the place, right? There's um, history of uh, imperial powers sort of just like s- squeezing money out of Haiti and uh, there's this whole situation where France tries to take it back over but then it can't but it still is able in the international community is still able to get away with this thing where just like demands to be, to put Haiti into this insane amount of debt. And that is what you need to understand about Haiti is that the reason people call it like, Oh, it's corrupt. And like, it's a bad, like it's, you know, it looks historically like it has all these, um, mistakes it's made and well, it's so poor and it's like, well, yeah, but it's because of that. Um, And because the United States spent 15 years, you know, imposed on it and essentially did the same thing. And then all this neoliberal shit happened, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. Right now we have, like, businessmen operating in Haiti from elsewhere. Yada, yada, yada. Um, God, this sucks. I hate trying to re-explain shit. Also, there's, like, jokes that got lost. Um, It sucks. There was a, a president of Haiti... At one point, who was backed by the United States, named Papa Doc Duvalier, who told people he was Baron Semedi, the voodoo priest figure, technically called a loa, I think. Not a priest, like a god, <laughs> who's a really cool character I read a lot about this week. He keeps you from becoming a zombie when you die. By destroying your bones in the ground or something? He, like, digs the grave that sends you to hell? It's crazy. Um, It's a figure in a real religion who constantly drinks rum and smokes cigars. This is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. I wanted to talk about it, but the audio got destroyed on my fucking podcast. So, um, I don't know we tried our best to set up with context what we're going to be talking about i think the only other thing you need to know is that there's also this thing going on with this guy named jimmy barbecue who <laughs> his name is you know it's his nickname and he's like um like a vanguard type that is an ex-police officer that is now in charge of he's he's been radicalized he's not a cop anymore and he's in charge of a, of a like a union of gangs called g9 nine gangs um and we're going to talk a little bit about whether he is legitimately going to be some sort of vanguard like Che Guevara type figure or whether he's uh just a crazy person or whether he's a U.S. backed puppet who knows um I think that's all you need to know other than the entire history of Haiti well listen to our guest she's really smart she'll explain a lot of it to you okay here you go
3: an anthropologist, a uh, professor of Black Studies at University of California, Los Angeles, and an organizer with uh, Black Alliance for Peace, Jamima Pierre. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
3: Absolutely. Uh, So I feel like a lot of Americans, uh, myself included, we, we really only hear, hear about Haiti when something sort of salacious happens or where, when there's some, like, disaster porn we can uh, feel bad about or feel good about giving money to or something. Or when uh, but there's a huge amount teaches of, us. Yeah. There's Sorry. a huge amount of things that Americans should know because uh, we are unfortunately responsible, our country anyway, our, our government, responsible for a lot of the... Uh, issues happening down there. But um this but the, the of course the president we're speaking a few days after the president was assassinated, uh which is, you know, salacious but an important event as well. Um but you have been talking about this man's administration for a while now and there's a lot of interesting stuff with that situation or situation, if you will. Uh please <laughs> mm. excuse I i'm sorry more, a, more and more we're saying it. i have a brain disease where i like it's like tourette's but for bad puns but uh in all seriousness that it, it is uh there's a lot there uh that has been going on and the u.s has been involved uh what can you tell us about who this guy was the president and uh based on the information we have now i know there's a lot of unknown here uh wh- who you think is responsible for this this killing
0: Right. So there's a lot to go by and, you know, people have just been ignoring, as you say, being ignoring Haiti uh, um, on, you know, and now that the Haitian president has been assassinated, everybody's a Haitian expert, which is funny to me in terms of thinking about mainstream media, um, CNN and um, Washington Post and so on. But, you know, um, Jovenel Moïse was the de facto president of Haiti. Um, He's been ruling by decree for about 18 months. Um, um he's completely unpopular. he um he his mandate was up according to the lawyers the courts the constitution his mandate was up February 7, 2021 he refused to step down um and so and said that he had one more year and part of that has to do with the Haitian Constitution um that states that the president's term begins the year of the elections and his elections was marred by irregularities and fraud and all kinds of, uh, things and so they had to do a couple of runoffs and so then um, the year that the runoff was um, 2016 and he didn't take office until the fall of 2016 or the early 2017. But people, the constitution says no matter what, the year of the elections, the year that that his term begins, and so he should step down then. So he's he he was fighting against that, but long before that, you know, he's he was a president that. Really ruled without a mandate, right? Because mm-hmm. he he was handpicked by his predecessor, um, um, and he there were only about twenty people who participated in the votes in voting. Uh, he uh, so about twelve percent of the votes he received, and it was you know everyone said this was an illegitimate government, and so from yeah. the very beginning. There were protests against his presidency. Um, and then later on, a year and a half into his presidency, there was a huge report about corruption among members of his political party, um, stealing the Petro-Carib funds. And we can talk about the Petro-Carib funds because that's something that has involved in Venezuela. Right. Um, aid to Haiti. Um, and, and it was money. So Petro-Carib was this thing that the Hugo Chavez set up for Caribbean nations for development. So. When oil prices were high and Venezuela had a lot of oil, it actually provided oil to these nations at a very, at very low interest, and said that they didn't have to pay for this oil for 25 years. And they, these nations would take the money, use the the profits from this for development. Mm. So this was Carib. It turns out that his party had embezzled almost, you know, two billion dollars from the Carib fund. So they were protests wow. against him in 2018, um, 2019. Uh, and then he tried. And then, the, of course, the U.S. was forcing him and the Korean nations not to be part of petro because the U.S. has its own anti-Venezuelan politics. And so then the IMF tried to get him to raise oil prices. That sparked another set of protests. And then he tried to change the Constitution last year. A referendum to change the constitution to basically um, uh, Haitian constitution does not allow more than one term. A president can't mm. run, can't, can't hold office more than one term, and so he was trying to do it so that not only could he, the president hold more than one term, but the presidency had a lot more power, dissolve parliament, um, put more of the power in the executive. Board. So there are all these things against them. In addition to all the internal politics of Haiti with the class and color politics uh, of the Haitian elite. And so, so there's that. So by the time then he gets assassinated, um, it's obvious that there's, you know, something, it's an internal. People are saying it's the Colombians. A, A lot of people are saying it's actually not. It's an internal part, um, fight within the party. Um, the way, you know, no one else was hurt except for him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Right. All his security. Nobody was shot. Nobody was killed. It was just him and his wife. And so people think it's an inside job. And so we wait to see um, what what that's going to be now. So that's the black. That's you know, that's the horrible despot. Right. Joe Fidel Moise. And, and my point, though, is there's no way that Jovenel Moise could be who he is, could even get into power without the U.S., The UN, the Organization of American States, and what they call, and what we have called the core group, which is the self-elected group of representatives who make all decisions about Haiti, right? And so, you know, in terms of thinking about lack of sovereignty. And, and Jovenel Moyes comes to power because he was hand-selected by Michel Martelly. Um, who, who started the party in 2010, 2011, and Michel Martelly was actually forced onto the Haitian people by the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton, secretary of state. And so people don't realize this, but this, you know, this is Obama's legacy in Haiti, leaving us with this terrible party, um, forcing this Michel Martelly, who actually did not make the first rounds in the, in the elections in 2010. But Hillary Clinton and the Organization of American States flew to Haiti during the Arab Spring and forced this candidate upon the Haitian people, threatened that president with the René Preval, then the sitting president would exile if he didn't accept that. So then this is this is that legacy. And so this party, um, this guy was already uh, corrupt, he was a Duvalierist, and so he's you know, he so he comes right before Moise and he hands picks handpicks Moise. And so part of part of this is to think about, you know, how it is that we get to here and to not just focus on this individual because the structure is still in place, and the structure that allows this this a Moise to become president and then be assassinated. Um, is, is still in place. The other thing quickly I want to say, and you can ask questions, is that sure. the last time we had an assassinated president, the last time a Haitian president was assassinated, was in 1915, right before the first US occupation of Haiti. And right. so we have to, in that occupation lasted almost 20 years. And so we have to, you know, so we see the parallels here, and it's just really um, interesting um, to think about.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like a yeah. Star Wars prequels thing going on. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I have so many questions. I don't. I don't yes. even know where to start with this. Do we want? Do we want to start with like the Clinton
3: stuff? Or well, I, we want to go before that? I, I do want to like sort of uh, because the Constitution is an in, is an interesting facet of this because it's not. You know, all constitutions are are complicated, but it seems like right now there's not a clear uh, succession for who's gonna take over. Right? Like, uh, is is that accurate? Like the. The guy who's in power right now, the interim president. Uh, it's you know there was supposed to be somebody else who got COVID, and it's it's not clear who technically is supposed to be to take over. Is is that fair to say? Well,
0: yeah, that's that's correct. And so part part of, and and this is where you see the meddling of the international so-called international community because it's really the U.S., the U.N., the O.A.S. Right. So let, let's be real here, um, um, but. The, the, the guy who proclaimed himself president um, was an interim prime minister. It was the sixth prime minister of this, this government. He's only been in power for four years. They've had, He's had four, six prime ministers. And the OAS, who's always supported him, came and released a report just last week. Um, saying that we'll support you as long as you have elections, because you know, they want to have elections and make it seem like there's a democracy in Haiti. So the U.S. is all about, let's have these elections, even though you know you have a de facto president, even though you know there's no parliament, there's no elected officials, everybody there is appointed, right? And so this guy was appointed in April as an interim prime minister. And then um, his... So OAS demanded that Moïse... Up sign another prime minister as part of moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. Because he, this guy was so un, so hated by the people. Right. So Moise then um, named someone else um, as prime minister who was supposed to take over the day he dies, right? So this is why people think this is an inside job. Right. Because so the guy then, who was interim, who was supposed to step down, steps up and basically declares himself president. Which is unheard of. It's like one Guaido, right? So it's like he declares himself president and then immediately goes into meetings with the core group, the, you know, his masters, right? The U.S. Secretary Blinken, um, you know, he meets with, with, with the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, um, to Haiti. He meets with the U.N. representative in Haiti. And so he sets this up. And so immediately the U.N. ambassador in Haiti, Helen Alim, claims that he's the president. He basically, Mm. they issued a statement that says, you know, Claude Joseph is Haiti's president until elections, and so the nerve, right? I mean, I mean, that, cause that's what Haitians are saying: like, yeah. how the, how in the hell can you, excuse my excuse my curse, Oh no, oh, we're, what, we're what? We're there's a clear. curse word in <laughs> our just, name. Yeah. So right, on the podcast. We're very stupid. What what the hell is going on? How dare <laughs> you? You know, the nerve of you. To sit here and take this guy who was appointed, and then you make the decision. Who are you to be making the decision? Right. But then it shows you uh, the uh, you know the, the aggressiveness of the international community when it comes to Haitian um, politics and ruling Haiti. Now I have to say something about the constitution because sure. one of the, the Haitian constitution is really um, um, something that's really been at uh, uh, at play from the very beginning. And so in 1915, when the U.S. came in. Occupied Haiti, you know. Took went to the central bank, took the millions of dollars in gold, took it, to, sent it to Citibank in New York. I, I, you, you should read this; i's crazy, right? They took over the banking, they took over everything. They rewrote Haiti's constitution, and it was FDR yeah. who wrote the constitution because Haiti, as you know, is the first free, you know, um, slave uh, former first free black country in the world. Mm-hmm. Former slave, you know, a successful slave revolt. And in this constitution, in 1804 constitution, it was written in there that no foreigner could own land in Haiti. And especially no white could own land in Haiti after the, uh, the history of slavery. Well, what FDR did was basically rewrite the constitution to take out that clause. And so the constitution's always been at play. And then after the Duvalier regime... Um, when Duvalier was kicked out after his thir- 29-year rule, dictatorship, supported by the U.S., by the way, in France. Um, the Haitian constitution was rewritten in 1987 to actually deal with the fact that, you know, you cannot have a president for life, which is why you only have one term, the presidency, but also, you know, to diminish the power of the military and so on and so forth. So this constitution has been in play, and in the, in, in the Western world has always mm-hmm. been trying to, like, you know, holding on this constitution in order to change the rules in order to make it work for themselves.
3: Right. Yeah. The FDR thing sounds like a not so good neighbor policy, if you ask me. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, so, it, does the Monroe Doctrine play a part in this? The the fact that someone like Hillary Clinton is able to just change, like, come in and just tell people what to do is that? Is there? Are they still deriving authority from that, or or where does she get the authority yeah. to do that?
0: Well, but she's the Secretary of State. But so then it takes us back to two thousand and four. Oh. Right. And so, so my, you know, what I, in all my writings on Haiti, what I've said, like, we are under occupation. So Haiti's been under foreign occupations in 2004. And in the 2004, which, you know, which is by no, by no, um, coincidence, the 200th anniversary of the Haitian revolution, right? The Haitian independence, where you have Canada, France and the U.S. Um, really support a coup d'etat against our first elected president, Jean-Betron Aristide. Mm -hmm. So in February 28, 29, the U.S. um, US Special Forces lands into his compound, into his house, and they walk into his house and they say he needs to get on a plane immediately and resign. And, you know, it's really fascinating because, you know, democracy now actually still has video, you know, uh, audio of... This is like I, I was listening to it live, right? This is two thousand this is two thousand and four, um, and so they remove this president. They put him on a plane and fly him to the Central African Republic. You know, talking about sending him back to Africa, right? which itself I means, it's, you know, it has all kinds of like things. And you know, in the end, he ends up getting exiled in South Africa under um, the what's his name, the president before Zuma um, presidency. Um, I can't remember his name. So. So, so you have that, right? So you have um, since so, so 2004, and then this was under George W. Bush, and they were able to con- so immediately within within hours, there were 20,000 troops from the U.S., from Canada, and France in on the land in Haiti, closed up all the borders and took over airspace, right? So the U.S. invaded Haiti right after they took out Aristide, and then they managed then to get the U.N. Security Council to vote for a chapter 7 uh, so-called peacekeeping mission to Haiti which began in January um, 20, 2004 so Haiti has been under that peacekeeping you know that 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 control since 2004 and and so over time you had this you know at some point you had like 15 16,000 soldiers civilian patrolling uh, under this UN force and within that you have then the core group this is when you have the emergence of this core group of these representatives from the OES the UN uh, the European Union and so on basically making all decisions about Haiti right so this occupation and the UN I'm I'm sure you've heard the UN peacekeeping court has been devastating for Haiti Um, you know massive shootouts Killings of people, but also bringing the cholera epidemic that killed up to 30,000 people right. um, and sickened almost a million, right? And so because they dumped their dirty fecal matter water into the main river of the central part of the country. So the U.N. occupation has been terrible, and people know this. Like, they be, you know, and, and and so then they've been drawing down. So over the years, they kept renewing the mandate and they've been drawing down the forces and so they removed most of the forces by 2017 2019 but they kept a UN integrated office um, in Haiti and which is out of which that woman Helen Lalim Announced yesterday who our president would be, which means that this occupation is still going. And so the way that I talk about this is that there is no sovereignty. Haiti hasn't Mm -hmm. been sovereign since 2004, which is why Hillary Clinton could have the nerve under the U.S. State Department to fly to Haiti and says, and say, this is how we're going to run elections. We need to have elections. We pay for these elections. And the OAS, you know, as Castro called, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the neo colonial agent of the US basically runs these elections and so this is how it happens and we have to think about it you know we have to remember this long historical connection to to what's happened to the international what the long historical relation of the of the so-called international community to Haitian Haitian people and Haitian sovereignty
3: right i i do want to make sure i ask too, about a sort of a domestic aspect of this in in Haiti which uh Right now, um, some people have painted this guy as sort of like the opposition to the government, I don't know how accurate that is, but, uh, uh, individual named Jimmy Barbecue, who at least goes by Jimmy Barbecue, uh, some leftists, and it seems like a lot of American leftists, maybe some Haitian leftists too, I don't know, are kind of suggesting that he's being quickly radicalized and is gonna take over and be the next, you know, Haitian shea or something, uh, is there anything to that, or is this sort of like an over-eagerness to like, latch on to uh, a revolutionary figure and, and to find a, a good guy?
0: Right. So the only person saying this is Kim Kim Ives.
3: Okay. Um, uh. Who's a friend of
0: mine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and you know, the thing about barbecue is I'm not sure how to read him. I You know, I, I think, you know, I love Kim, and I think he's done wonderful work for Haiti. He's a buddy. and um, But I'm not sure I can follow this barbecue as revolutionary um, um, language and so, and, and so that remains to be seen um, um, you know there's so much attributed to that gang the G9 gang um, the fact that the government never really went after them despite all kinds of things attributed to them you know says a lot to me um, and so maybe he has information that I don't have, that none of us, no one else has, but everyone is saying that this guy is not necessarily good news and he's not a revolutionary. And so and that's the only answer I have because I don't know how to read yeah. um, G9. I, I do think his last speech was incredible in the sense he was just like you know these elites are giving us money or they're arming us to kill each other um, for them we need to go in like into their places and you know take down their banks and take down their stores which is great for, for the masses mm-hmm. but, but then um, but then I don't I don't know how to read him and so You know, so there is a fight I think within the leftist groups about who um, this barbecue is and whether you know how revolutionary he is and if some people are being overzealous and I and I'm not sure. um, You know, where I am, I'm just uh, I I approach this with trepidation.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably the smart way to go about it. I know uh, for me personally, barbecue is my favorite type of cuisine, so I (laughs) have to watch myself and make sure not to get too
1: excited. It's good uh, branding yeah. for our it's, listeners. I mean, the, the background of this guy is—he's like an ex-cop who became radicalized and became like a leader of a, like a or possibly radicalized. we not possibly sure radicalized.
0: And yeah. see, that's the thing, right? Because the discourse is an ex-cop and he runs a gang, and they're very well armed. And the other thing we have to always ask is, like, you know, the you know the mantra is Haiti's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, right. which pisses me off when people say it. But yeah, but. So, how is it that all these young men with no job and no money have all these like sophisticated machine guns and ammunition right well, and, and that's the other thing that so, I had heard
1: about him is I've heard people accuse like this is guy is being propped up by somebody right
0: right and so and and part of it is like the the gang story is, is 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 an important one because it's been used they've been used in the past by the elite to go after other elites to 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 go and to terrorize certain neighborhoods and so you know. A lot of, you know, poor young men who don't have jobs, the elites have used them by giving them arms. The other thing you have to remember, like, these ports are owned by the elites, right? So these, you know, the major of the, the 9 to 12 white and Levantine families that really run Haiti uh, own the ports. Through which these guns come through. So even though there's an arms embargo to Haiti, these arms are still coming, arms and ammunition are still coming through. So we have to think about that. So Barbecue is an ex-cop and some people say he's become radicalized and others say he's, you know, he's terrorizing neighborhoods and I can't tell, you know, I, 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 you know, my, I've already said my position in that. And so... You know, I, I I care for Kim Ives and so you know, I'm not going to like say he's crazy, but that's that that's not necessarily the hill I would die on in terms of calling him a revolutionary. So
3: Yeah. Well it's you mentioned the the arms and like from what it sounds like there are a lot of, you know, elites in Haiti, like people who look like me going around and like yes. giving kids guns <laughs> and getting them to serve their uh political interests and uh like is there it just sounds like there's a lot of that, right?
0: Yes. I yeah. mean, the, 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 the light skinned and white elite in Haiti, you know, the business elite have been running Haiti for a very long time. And, um, you know, there are like 10 families. If, you know, the Vigios, the Apades, the um, the Mevs, um, the, um, the, the Bulos, And so we know, we know their names, you know, it's like these 10 families. And they are, you know, people don't realize that they own the banks, they own the ports. Um, you know, they own all the businesses in Haiti and they've been around for a while. So within that elite group, you know, they've been able, you know, they were behind the coup d'etat against Aristide because they hated the populist movement. And so they make their money. They make billions of dollars off of Haitian people, right? The poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, but they're making billions and billions of dollars off Haiti. Right. Um, And then they've controlled politics, right? They've been able, because of their money and because of their connections to the U.S., so this guy, Abigio, lives in Florida, you know, um, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's got access to to U.S. diplomats and so on, and they're able to actually um, have a say, so, and they all made a, had a huge come up during the earthquake, because, you know, with Clinton's you know corrupt but you know he was coming in there and dealing with these these elites and so they made you know a lot of these elites some of them were actually losing money so i think about the er, the mervs who were like land rich and cash poor they all made a big come up during the earthquake because they got all that money you know invested in their hotels and invested in their in their businesses because of their their connections to clinton and the clinton foundation
3: right and yeah yeah i've I've uh, heard you say a lot, you know, this this sort of trope that uh, Haiti is the poorest country, right? This is just talking narrowly about, you know, on paper fiscal stuff that is, you know, uh, not it is pressed on Haiti. It's not just, you know, naturally, quote-unquote, poor. Uh, we're not talking about natural resources. We're not talking right. about, you know – any of the things that make life worth living—culture and art and all that stuff—where it's 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 not poor. Uh, but this is a, a long legacy of of debt uh, that goes back a really long time to the Haitian Revolution. Um, in what way has that been debt been sort of used to to punish uh, the Haitian people and prevent a sort of uh, autonomous uh, country, a self-governed country, from from propping up?
0: Right, because part of the thing is um, it is important to talk about this, right? Because you know, people are like, oh, why are, why, are they, why is Haiti you know this tiny little poor country? Why do why do you think so many people want to have you know why are they bothering Haiti? Right, like so. <laughs> so part of that is you know, of course, you know. The Haitian Revolution actually really stoked fear in in, in white supremacy, right? I mean, it, it killed Napoleon's dreams of having a French empire in the Western hemisphere, um, which is how the U.S. got the Louisiana territory. And then Haiti was not recognized by the U.S. for a long time because slavery was still happening. Haiti got independence in 1804, and then there was still slavery. And then France, you know, uh, and Haiti was constantly challenged. You know, you'd have these gunboats surround the island after the, the revolution and basically threaten to invade. And so at the end, you know, the Haitians agreed. So France said the only way we'd recognize you and stop surrounding you is if you paid us, you know, the equivalent at this point is about like 22, 23 billion dollars in gold. And so that was the only way that Haiti got France off its back. And it took them 122 years to pay. They didn't finish paying that till 1947. And so part of that is like most of the money went to France. You know, France got all this money, um, from Haiti. And, and so it, that debt is, is, is really a, a metaphor for the way that the West has treated Haiti since, um, it dared to, um, be free. Um, but then you also have, you know, long standing, uh, uh, poli- uh, uh U.S. policies in Haiti, right? So Bill Clinton admits, for example, of dumping Arkansas rice um, into Haiti, which killed the Haitian um, rice market. Haiti grew its own rice for a long time until Bill Clinton started dumping, you know, to subsidize its farmers, dump cheap Haitian rice onto Haiti. So you had that. And at one point under, I think, I don't remember which president, they forced Haiti Haiti to kill all their local regular pigs, right? The Caribbean has these black Uh, pigs. I read about that. Right, that can like survive in the island. And and they um, they forced um, the government to kill all these pigs and said the pigs were carrying a disease and so they slaughtered all these pigs but then were able to like import pigs from Arkansas. Right. Right? Wow. These white pigs were not from the island and so and and required a lot more, you know, different kinds of feed, not local, you know, so so there's been you know, there's been all kinds of stuff. And I have to say, you know, part of part of, you know, if you think Haiti's poor, try getting on a plane. From Miami to Haiti, on that American Airlines flies from Miami four times a day, and you walk, you go on that plane, and it's all business people and missionaries. But that's that's a whole other conversation. But. And so it's like, what, if a- Haiti support, why are all these business people going to Haiti so often? Why are they there all the time? It's because there's oil in the northern part of Haiti. There's gold. And the first gold mining license after Martelly was um, installed by Hillary Clinton went to Hillary Clinton's own brother, right? And so, right. you know, so, so part of it, and you think about Canada and, and their mining, um, you know, uh, aims in the northern part of Haiti. So there's, there's a lot, you know, to be taken from Haiti um, from, by, by these people.
3: Right. Yeah. And uh, the the Clinton crime syndicate, which is, I think, one of the yes. few uh, accurate things the American right has come up with, um, has a really long history in Haiti. Yes. Uh, they believe – I saw you wrote that their honeymoon was there in the 70s. Right. Yeah.
0: My favorite essay, Bill Clinton loves Haiti. Yeah. No. Right. Yes.
3: Yeah. What were they? What did they see over there? I'm, I'm actually genuinely curious what they saw there in the 70s that made them want to. Uh destroy this place for their own personal gain like what was his situation there like there, back yeah. there black
2: pigs and they said what if we switch the color of all the pigs?
0: That be fun? <laughs> yeah. the pigs yeah well i'm not sure what they saw in there i think they generally probably felt like they you know they they like the island they like the people they like the culture and and you know there's there is a certain white saviorism when it comes to haiti which is why right. these ngos go there and we're like, we need to save these people. But then I think as they got more into politics and, and, and their thing, it's just Haiti became this easily exploitable space for them, right? With, you know, their relationship to the elites and they're able to make money through there. So I don't know. They said they loved Haiti. They, you know, they went on their honeymoon there. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful island. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure how it is that Haiti became, um, became, uh, um, this place, you know, this spot for them but it's been very good for them. Yeah, and not good for (laughs) Haiti. Right, Uh, it's been good for them at least the past decade, especially since the earthquake. The the earthquake was a come up for all the elites, you know. Right, oh
3: God, yeah. I I definitely want to get to that uh, too, but um, while we're on this, uh, Bill Clinton, when he was president, uh, I guess you could say uh, intervened in in Haiti and uh, put, uh, it was Aristide back in, uh, but that did, that came with some strings attached. Right. What were those strings, and how do they still impact Haiti today?
0: Yeah, so part of that is, uh, you know, Aristide was a popular um, government, and one of the, you know, after Duvalier was kicked out, um, you know, there were four years of really horrible times and, and coup d'etats and military rule, and then you have this Aristide that shows up out of nowhere, this, you know, liberation theologist um, uh, and the people who got like seventy percent of the votes, Um, the election, which the U.S. did not anticipate, and so they were shocked. So if you look, if you read the WikiLeaks files, it's fascinating that they hated this man, and the Vatican hated this man. You know, and he's a priest, right? So the you know, you know, the Pope is writing about Aristide. Everybody's talking about because they hated, they hated the populist movement, and elites, of course, hated it because it meant like the the poor people were. You know, trying to come up, and so, and so, you know, nine months into his presidency, um, you know, there's a CIA-led coup d'état, which is very clear right now. You know, it's it's documented that the CIA was behind this coup d'état to get rid of him. But you know, there was so much protest and and there's so much violence after they removed him because they went after his supporters, killed a lot of people, and then for Bill Clinton, Haitians started coming by boat. Right, you, you don't, you know, you have to stem the tide of all these Haitians coming, you know, to Florida by boat, and so one of the things he felt and then that he needed to actually um, bring back Aristide to stem the tide of the Haitians, to stem all the protests, right? right. Um, and and what's fascinating about this because so he brings in Aristide in 1994 under very specific conditions, right? So IRC, you know, IMF loans, which Aristide did not want, neoliberal policies that Aristide did not want, and which is why. Till this day, a lot of people are very upset. A lot of the leftists in Haiti are upset with Ersi because he took, he agreed to some of these conditions, and others said he should have just not have, not have agreed. So right. he agreed to some of these conditions. So he was already really, um, by the time he came back, he it was a different kind of uh, government because the U.S. was so much um, a part of it. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, because, you sure. know, I'm dating myself, but I remember um, in 1994, I was still um, in school, um, and I had just started uh, undergrad, and um, wow. flew to Haiti. That is right? surprising. Okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, and I went to Haiti with a friend of mine, who was part of like the business group that flew to Haiti with the business elite to meet Erissi that He was brought back, and so we were walking onto, um, you know, we went into the national palace, and as soon as you walk into the national palace, on the right there's a door closed and locked and says US officials only, which to me was such a freaking metaphor. This is like the national palace of Haitian sovereignty. And then you have like US officials only um there, right, at the sign because the US was running running Haiti at then. So I think ERC mm-hmm. lost a lot of support after that. But even but even then, you know, whatever he tried, you know, they and they only allowed him to serve out the last nine months of his term, which is fascinating considering Moise, they insisted that he overstayed his term. But Aristide, they're like, too bad. Three years have been gone. You've been exiled for three three years, but your five years are up, and you need so they only allowed him to serve nine months of his term.
3: Wow. And then yeah, fast forward to uh, the hurricane in in 2010. Uh, we were just talking about what what Bush did, and then uh, Bill Clinton and Bush go down there, and I, re- I remember. And Obama. I and Obama. And I remember at the time, people... it's Obama
0: that appointed Bush and Clinton.
3: Right, right, as the, yeah, sort of the buddy buddy cops to go down and sort out the situation.
2: They were kind of like the Haitian equivalent of Rush Hour. Yeah. <laughs> it was much less, it was much more dry as a film. Do
3: you yeah. understand the words that are coming
1: out of my
2: mouth? All right. Uh,
3: <laughs> but he did, like, I remember that's you know, after um, 10 years of over 10 years of uh, his policy towards uh, Haiti with, with uh, the U.S. just dumping all this rice and all these other goods that screwed up the Haitian economy. They confronted upon it. And like so many things uh, that Clinton did as president, he's like, I, I was wrong about that, and I'm so sorry, and I hope you right. forgive me. I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, at the time, there was this huge effort to raise money, Uh, That they headed with the Clinton Global Initiative, and especially with the Red Cross, I remember they had a thing I did with my flip phone. You could text a certain number, and it would take some money out of your phone bill and put it towards uh, the Red Cross, whatever that is. Uh, Where did all that money go, and uh, who did it benefit?
0: Since Red Cross only built six houses out of the half a billion dollars that they raised. So I, I'm still trying to, you know, they should, you know, you know, it's so funny to me. Like they talk about African nations and Haitian nations as being corrupt. Let's talk about the corruption of these NGOs and these, you know, the U.S. governments and these, you know, the 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 the, the NGO industrial complex. Because till today, no one's made the Red Cross account for um, the half a billion dollars that it raised. And, and the fact that there is still to this day people living in tents. Right from the earthquake, uh, what I do know there's a really nice hotel that the Red Cross invested in um, <laughs> down you know downtown Haiti. I've stayed in it you know when I've gone to conferences, and so part of that is that the people who benefited from this were the elite you know right. they got to upgrade all their stuff they got to build they got to invest using Red Cross money, and so you know that's an accounting that still needs to be done because you know we're trying to figure out where where did all this money go because Haitians have not benefited anything. And and, and and part of that, you know, people, you know, there's all, there was a study that was done ten years ago that shows, like, you know, for every dollar that that is given, you know, through NGOs to Haiti, um, you know, only seven cents ends up somewhere, you know, on the ground because the rest of it goes back to the NGOs, goes back to these governments, and so on. So, you know, NGOs are like, you know, um, 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 work 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 placement for, you know, the
1: Western young people. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about them being corrupt, but it's like, it's weird because they're almost, it's not even necessarily corruption as like a fly in the ointment. It's just by design is not a thing that can function in a way that actually puts the money where it needs to be. So we don't even... Say that. I guess we just explained it away in the United States as like, well, you know, they're doing the best they can do or whatever.
0: Right. And- exactly. And people don't know this. You know, like I was in Haiti five days after the earthquake. And I remember, um, you know, I have some friends in Haiti. I, you know, flew down to Haiti. We couldn't come into Haiti because the, the, the airports were um, closed. So I had to fly into the DR and drive into Haiti. And, you know, I have some friends <coughs> who like who who are, you know, who's friends with some of the elites, so like the Mervs family who owned this huge hotel resort right outside of Port-au-Prince. And so he's like, let me show you something. So we drive to this resort where all the aid workers were staying. It was just, streets were broken. People were on the streets, sleeping in the streets, but the bars had all the aid workers. And then they were staying in this hotel where they had like, there's so much food some, you know, there's hanging out at the pool, you know, three big meals a day, lots of liquor. And, and, you know, people were like, well, you know, I have to come all the way to Africa to get to come and help, but they were chilling in this resort. And this is wow. what aid work was, right? So when, when people think people don't realize how aid works, right? The money for aid goes first to subsidize all the aid workers so that they can have a very specific lifestyle. So, and then if you go to Haiti, by 5 p.m., all the SUVs are driving north to Pétionville, where all the elites and, you know, all the foreigners go hang out in bars and eat in their restaurants and so on and so forth. So that's where your aid money is going. It's not going to the people on the ground. It's going to subsidize the so-called aid workers to make right. their lives better. So some people would rather be aid workers because they live a life of luxury in Haiti much more than they would in like you know small apartment in Brooklyn you
1: yeah that. you know uh, this is a weird personal anecdote or whatever but like so you know that happens around 2010 right and then a few years after that is when Tinder came out in the United States and it was almost like a cliche you'd see people in their Tinder profiles they would always have pictures of them doing like that humanitarian work but it's so clearly right. commodified like for yeah. them and not for the people that they're ostensibly helping or whatever it just became no, a Just
0: get get a bunch of black children around you and take a picture and put it up there.
1: Yeah, it just became a thing for white people here to do in a way to like, you know, make it about yourself and, and your journey or whatever. So funny. Yeah, Look
2: how many children I know. I'm very <laughs> <Right>. fertile. <laughs>
3: uh, and, and well, one of the buzzwords that they love to say a lot of these relief uh, foundations and NGOs and stuff, who really should be their goal should be to put themselves out of business, to right. so the world is no longer needs this, but they, right. they need to keep going. It's it's an industrial complex, as you said. Uh, but one of the the buzzwords they always use is uh development they love economic development let's get this economy developed uh but and there has as you were pointing out with petro Carib, there has been some development uh it's just not happened in the way that uh (laughs) these groups want it to um so how do they justify that having you know the economies and people's quality of life actually improving from uh, Venezuelan oil supply and, you know, working with socialist governments. Uh how do they rectify that with um their their development which is just objectively not actually trickle down and help people?
0: Right. I mean the thing is to demonize, you know, Venezuela and and, and, and to completely um, make it seem like whatever Venezuela is doing is 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 against um, um, the the help of, of Haiti and, and and you know Moise, you know people joke like Moise did everything that the West asked him and they and he still got you know taken out so uh, you know that should be a lesson for all the neocolonials working with the West because the truth is Moise went against Venezuela which is something no Haitian president no Haitian leader has ever done mm. and it was shocking and really terrible I mean people protested that, because they see Venezuela as a friend, and Venezuela has not been, you know, the horrible imperial force in Haiti. Venezuela has been um, supportive. And so when Moïse recognized one Guaido, for example, that was, like, shocking to all Haitians, you know, that's something that you don't do, or even recognize Taiwan, um, you know, um, you know, against China, right, because that's what the U.S. wanted them to do. But anyways, the point is to demonize um, the other, you know, the, the socialist governments, At the same time, make it, you know, make it so that Haiti always looks like a basket case so that then, you know, the need for help is always there. So, you know, look. Boyes was killed what three days ago. There hasn't been any chaos, but every headline was like chaos and anarchy in Haiti. There, no one's been protesting. Nobody's out in the streets. There's nothing. You know, it was after the earthquake. It was the same. People thought, well, you know, you know, the U.S. sent military. You know, we were surrounded by a a navy fleet because they thought Haitians were just going to go crazy and start killing each other and doing Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. And so, I do think there's a narrative of like. You know Haiti in crisis. These people always needy is really helpful for the development industrial complex because right. then it creates this narrative of you know these people always in crisis and so we always need to be out there and help them. And even when you know they've been there for forty years, nothing changes. They can still do that because there are always these ideas about what Haitians are like, right? Regardless of whether or not that's the reality, you know. Yeah. Can
2: I ask? um I, I'm curious. You said earlier that um for the recent election there was only a 20 percent turnout uh to actually go and do the votes what is the actual political reality like on the ground for everyday haitians you said they're out protesting so they can't be like totally jaded does the does the common sense that they're like a u.s client state and everybody's like had it up to here with that or uh is there any kind of like extra electoral work going on
0: well, I think, I do think, you know, one of the things that's, that really emerged with the Molise protests, you know, there's only so much people can take, right? And so I do think after the earthquake, people were not supportive of Martelli, and people were really upset. But, you know, it was right after the earthquake and the U.S., you know, spent their $33 million insisting on these elections on, you know, in October of, of the earthquake. And so people, you know, but there's only, after a while, people are like, they saw all this in, uh, embezzlement. They see, they saw all this corruption. They saw, they saw, You know thousands of people die in over cholera like can you imagine Mm. like you think about this like when you know when israel is for for example bombing palestine right so you bomb palestine and that's that's immediate right you see so you know back in 2000 what was it 8 2009 the 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 winter right before obama became president you know they killed 2600 people right bombed right but you have to 30,000 people die within a year or two of cholera, and that doesn't seem like anything to anybody. And the UN took six years to even apologize; they refused to acknowledge it, right? And so, so part of that is just there's a way that Haitian death seems completely—it's as if it means nothing to people, right? And so, and people always protest. And so, that's the other thing: people don't it doesn't. Happen. But Haitians are always in the street demanding, you know, change. And and with Moise, what ended up happening is like they were so upset. So the March protests, you know, the protests against Minister, which is the UN occupation, were really specific because now if you go to Minister everywhere, it's like Minister equals cholera, because that's what they, you know, or they call them like goat stealer because they would steal their goats. And and then the other thing is Minister impregnated so many young kids. So you know, there's a, there are like hundreds and hundreds of kids born of Minister soldiers have to sue for paternity. <laughs> you know, had to sue to get, you know, only one of them, you know. So so there's all of that, right? The rapes, the, right. The, the brutality, the cholera. But then, you know, lately, the protests have been against the United Nations, and they're very explicit, you know, they're anti-imperialist protests, because they know that it's the U.S., the U.N., the OAS. And so the voting, for example, the Organization of American States, it was so many irregularities where they were, they prevented the most popular Lavalas party, Eric party, from voting. Right, in the 2010 elections, they, you know, so which means that most people did not vote because most people are still Lavalas, right, the the original Aristide party. Um, And then they, you know, they would, you know, there were all kinds of irregularities in the counting. So people would say the OAS people would go in, stuff out ballots, not count others, and so on. So they see this happening. And they're protesting all the time. And sometimes the protests get picked up and sometimes they don't. The protests against Moïse, especially last summer and the summer before, were millions and millions of people. You, you've seen, you saw that in the news, right? I mean, it was just, it took a yeah. I don't know if you, you all saw it, but it took. And so it's just, you know, you know people are, pre, pre, they're not sitting here and taking it. They're not dumb. You mm-hmm. know, they understand. They have very good analysis. And so it's just really, they're fighting against a formidable foe. And that's the Western institutions that really control uh, and that can control by putting in leaders, by removing leaders and doing their kind of thing. But, you know, my thing is the same way that the Haitian Revolution did not seem like it was going to happen. I think sooner or later, you know, something's got to give.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And and what do you and it's just if we could kind of end on a a hopeful note here. Uh, What is that? sort of uh, best-case scenario that, that you think uh, could happen of the Haitian people? I know it's, it's difficult to, to forecast that at this point, but uh, what are some possibilities?
0: Well, the best-case scenario is for the international community to just get out of Haiti and leave us alone. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's what everybody wants. Like, nobody wants intervention. Everyone wants the UN office, integrated office, to get out. And they want the U.S. State Department to leave us alone and let Haitians deal with their own issues, right? And I know that's difficult for people. You know, people say, are you sure, you know, (laughs) what would happen? But I'm like, the truth is we've been bothered for so long. I mean, look, the U.S. had a coup d'etat, almost a coup d'etat, on January 6th. Nobody asked for international intervention. Nobody said, let's go to the U.N. Security Council and invade the U.S. and bring in democracy. And so I do think... You know, my hope is that these these international players would leave Haitians alone. If not, then they're going to, you know, they're going to be met with, you know, with, with, with a counter-protest that they might not be able to control. I right. Mean, that's, and that's the reality.
3: Okay. Yeah. And like. I
0: mean, I, I think, Yeah. No,
3: that's, sorry. That's not
0: as hopeful as I want to be, but the hopeful things like the people, you know, the people will prevail. It might take a while, yeah. but I think the people will prevail
1: well yeah well, I, I, I mean, we're staring down the barrel of like a disaster capitalism situation so the answer of like how to get around that is there's not a lot of historical precedent for it you know but but in the end you know somehow maybe well, I, well the historical
0: it. precedent is the haitian revolution right right, right. You know, <laughs> under all, all odds right
1: yeah totally yeah so,
2: and i do think an ending of some kind <laughs>
0: I well, do remember say- we got rid of the U.S. occupation before. I mean, it was protests and all kinds of things that like that made the U.S. leave in 1934 after 19 years. So, you know, I think you know at this time, you can already say, see that even though people are calling for intervention, yeah, there's a precedent, right? There's the Haitian revolution, but also the U.S. occupation ended in 1934 not because the U.S. wanted to leave, because the Haitian protested and fought back and got them to get out. And so I do think and then recently, you know, people are are calling for intervention, but the US I don't think has a clout anymore to get the UN Security Council to send a mission because Russia and China are not gonna fall for it necessarily again, right? And um and and you know, and I think the US is afraid after what happened in Afghanistan of sending military people to Haiti because the Haitians were so adamantly against an intervention, like a, a military intervention. So so I do think there's something to be said about the fact that Haitians made it very clear that they don't want more foreign troops in in their house. They want, you know, out, they want the foreign intervention and foreign meddling to stop. And I think they're going to keep saying that. Right.
3: Yeah. And I, it's, it's hard sometimes for uh, Americans to know what to do. And I I think obviously the acting uh, the most important actors here are the Haitian people, but uh, for Americans listening to this, you know, it's with so many people were eager to, to donate to these terrible organizations that, you know, they, they think are making things better. Uh, but th- that is, I think, because the U.S. plays such a powerful role in the quote-unquote international community and just our, you know, specific uh, regime um, in regards to a place like Haiti. Uh, the American people, I think, could have a role in this too if instead of, you know, just either... Writing it off as, uh, what are you going to do? Or giving to, like, a relief foundation if we actually spoke up and said to our government, we don't want you doing this. You don't need to do it. Uh, And I think there's, like, support for that across the sort of political spectrum. Because even Trump, and this was opportunistic 100%, but even he was, like, pointing to all the awful things the Clinton Global Initiative did in, in Haiti. So... I, I, yeah, I Trump that's...
0: was right. Yeah, Trump yeah. was ex- extremely right. I think you're <laughs> absolutely right. I do think people ask what to be, what is to be done. And what, what Americans could do is tell the governments to really stop meddling in Haiti. Because it's the U.S. government that's... Look, the reason Jovenel Moïse stayed in power so long is because the U.S. State Department supported him. Blinken came out, immediately said Moïse's term doesn't end until 2022, even after all the Haitian... Courts, lawyers, everyone said his term ended. So, so they can refrain from doing these kinds of things, and so that's what we. Need. And then it's our tax dollars, right, right. Um, paying. And so the thing is, as you know, as Americans, people, U.S. citizens, we have every right to demand that our tax dollars be used for other things, and that our government don't meddle in, in these kinds of, you know, in, in other people's countries in that, in the way that they do, right. It's one thing to be helpful. It's another to meddle and try to really control the sovereignty of another nation.
3: Absolutely. Uh, so what are some ways that, that people can get involved who are listening to this and, uh, where can people find your work?
0: Well, my work is, um, you know, of course, um, all over the Internet. Um, I write a lot for Black Black Agenda Report, but you can also go to Google Scholar um, um, for my um, academic work. Um, And I, you know, of course, uh, we have a whole page on Haiti. A background for people who want to know a lot about Haiti, the Black Alliance for Peace has a whole... Page with um, information, resources on Haiti, fact sheets, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think people need to join organizations. There's the US Peace Council, there's Cold Pink, there are all these organizations that are anti imperialists. And I think that's, that's the place to begin, you know, to, to really hold this, um, the government to task and hold it accountable for its imperial machinations abroad.
3: Right on. Well, Jamima Pierre, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Nice meeting you guys.
1: Likewise. Thank you. holy crap why i learned so much today let's do plugs and get the fuck out of here let's get out of my backyard which is this podcast zoom uh meeting (laughs) that we're in
2: the internet is jake's backyard and that's how he's been running it as an empire
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so do you think that's here's the thing i tried to make into a tweet the other day do you think gumby is like an anti-gentrification activist And that's why his name sounds like that. Gumby? You know, because he sounds...
2: Oh,
3: I like, okay, like a nimby.
1: <laughs> yeah, Gumby. yeah. Do you
2: remember what about really? Gumby other than that he rides
3: a
1: horse? He's skating around on his one foot and just, like, argh, like scowling at, like, you know, people moving into the neighborhood that he doesn't want to be around. The what way would the- you
2: describe Gumby <laughs> is way more aggressive than my memory of
3: Gumby, <laughs> <laughs>
2: where he comes across as a Teddy Roosevelt-style figure on children's...
3: <laughs> 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 what? So what would the acronym be? God Unto
1: My Backyard? That's fucking like, cool. Yep. I thought Before
2: this goes too much farther. I think we have to agree that that's what it is.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I thought about it for hours and I couldn't come up with a good answer. So I like that. God we'll go Unto with My that. Backyard. God, God Unto My Backyard. <laughs> <That's>
3: right. <laughs> He doesn't want economic development necessarily. He just wants uh, holy writ all yeah. over the place.
1: He's like a religious. What the fuck is that sound? It's been here the whole podcast. <laughs> oh no no no! It's okay it's okay. It's the end of the episode. Okay. Uh, it wasn't okay. It was an Anders the whole time. <laughs> no, it was.
2: She just got here and she's You're ready. I'm gonna mute.
1: I don't hear anything maybe it was alex i don't know there's a phantom sound in the podcast you'll yeah <laughs> it's the uh, cia you uh, hear that's it. the
3: joke that's a great go-to joke anytime there's any sort of technical difficulty or anything uh little you know inside scoop for uh the podcaster interested people is you just point to the government you say oh that was the cia it gets a laugh like 80 percent of the time
1: people it's a great love joke it and i'm enjoying yeah. it now. I do like the idea that there's like an ice guy listening and he's just like struggling to open a bag of chips while he listens to our podcast and <laughs> fucking it up.
3: <laughs> and for somehow for some reason has m- miked himself. Yeah. <laughs> well cuz you
1: know he wants to riff with us.
3: Yeah. Or <laughs> oh he wants to like yeah be in on it, but he and he wants to I mean I've done that. I've talked to podcasts sometimes he and has a, like talking to yourself and he does that but accidentally uh put the mic on yeah
1: he has a parasocial relationship with us which is something right. that happens when you listen to podcasts I, yeah. that actually i imagine would happen with spies like nsa people and shit like that
3: that's what the lives of others is about but they
2: can't get too close yeah jeopardize their mission
1: yeah all right, that's right. that'd be a warning well let's jeopardize this mission let's get the fuck out of here ports <laughs> we're done podcasting Anders do you have anything to plug Ugh. at Andersley
3: here on Twitter dursley one Instagram redacted tonight portable.tv youtube.com and um, if you if that inspired you just now to uh, do something then you can get involved in the Black Alliance for peace which I know uh, Professor Pierre is an organizer with. I am not totally sure what the uh, racial you know requirements are, if you have to be black or not. But I am sure there's solidarity work you can do uh, if you uh, are not black and want to help. And um, uh, DSA, Anti-War Working Group, uh, I think this would be a great campaign for DSA to sort of... Uh, you know, to join with in solidarity with, uh, because Haiti it's, it's in ultimately, as we're just talking about, it's an easy ask for the government. There's not a lot of excuses. They can't say, Oh, that'll bankrupt the country to not spend billions of dollars fucking over another country. Right. It's, it should be an easy thing to get people on board with is just getting out. Um, and that's a priority. I think people should take code pink, another organization you can get with and yeah let's uh let haiti be haiti baby
1: let haiti be haiti alex patek you got anything
2: cool uh you can listen to my podcast at theater of delights today's top stories now on your podcast app go look at that Season three, the last half of it, coming out this week, and then I'm probably done for a while. So enjoy that. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Attack Test Kitchen, and then also, you know, keep keep rocking in the free world out there. Keep on rocking in the free world. Exactly.
1: Um, keep on rocking in the free world is one of my plugs. My other one is listen to <laughs> my other show. Why you mad? I think that was my plug. Uh, we could you don't own it. We can both do I it. also
3: plug it. Let's, it was my favorite song in 2004.
1: Well, now I'm mad. <laughs> yeah, um, <yes. laughs> I'm going on a tour with uh, Avery Moore, a very funny comic friend of mine. Uh, we're st- I'm going from Houston to Austin to Fort Worth, Oklahoma City, and I think as it stands, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Phoenix, LA, and Las Vegas. And I might go more after that, but I just wanted to announce my dates. Another... That's another great Neil Young song, Albuquerque. So, double plug. Sure, why not? A
2: plug plug for the 1997 Al Yankovic hit, Albuquerque.
3: (laughs) No, that's uh, Neil Young. Wait, he had a song called Albuquerque, too? Neil Young also has a very good one.
2: Her
1: band, albuquerque. Albuquerque. Well, this does not need to be happening in the middle of my tour plug but if it does help you remember that i'm coming to albuquerque think yeah. about the either neil young or weird al song albuquerque which for some reason we've narrowed it down to it's one of those two people which happens all the time with music <laughs>
3: i think they both do songs called it
2: jake they both do
1: Okay.
3: By the way, I just want to say uh, I did coin, I think, a pretty great uh, little turn of phrase, situation. Which, if you are a scholar, uh, feel free to use that for a book title.
1: The situation. You the situation. situation. This like is a the plug for that guy. phrase. Yes. Yeah. Start or using it. if you're a haitian guy who has a big blowout hairdo and is like also very new jersey-ish you can yeah, yourself great abs the situation
2: <laughs> but you have to have abs it's going to be really embarrassing
1: if you don't have abs and you do that come see me on tour listen to all of our shit thank you very much goodbye